everybody. Thanks for listening. This is My Kind of Man, a podcast about Man Library. I am one of your co-hosts, Toby Hines. I am the head of operations and outreach at Man Library, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Hi, Toby. Hi. I'm Matt Ryan. I'm the instructional technology coordinator, and my preferred pronouns are he and him. The theme of this month's podcast, which I hit you with with a little while ago, and then I had to explain what I meant, um, <laughs> is the creating an inclusive library. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that the the guests that we're going to have on, which I'll, we'll talk about more in a minute, are um, going to kind of illustrate that there's many different ways of thinking about inclusivity, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we'll we'll kind of come back to the, our guests in just a moment. But I did give you some homework <laughs> before we came in the studio today um, because I came across something. You may know I'm taking an online, a four-week online I, course I, right now. I know now because we talked about it on the ride down here, the elevator <laughs> ride down to the studio. Right. I do know about it. Yes. But no, Um, it's very impressive. You're taking an online course called... uh, Introduction to to Accessibility and Universal Design in Libraries. Very good. One of the first things that we started learning about was, you know, accessibility and Mm -hmm. and what that means. Because I think that's a word that gets kind of thrown out there a lot. And I'm not sure that everyone really knows what, what it means. And I actually think it, it, it has it has multiple meaning, meanings from what I've been learning in the class. Yeah. Well, like many things, I think it's easy to say mm-hmm. and harder to comprehend how broad it is. Right. Exactly. Um, so I think a lot of us have a certain um, idea about what that means. Um, Without thinking about it too much. Right. Yeah. I know I did. I mean, and still we, until before... We started to work on mm-hmm. preparing for this podcast. I had a certain idea of what accessibility, inclusivity meant. Yeah. And that was a very shallow mm-hmm. uh, percentage of well, what it does really mean. And I think from from sort of the prep work that we've done and, and then talking to our guests, you know, we we see the world, you know, we you and I are both cisgendered, yeah. heterosexual, yeah. white people who yeah. are able-bodied, yes. and that is how we experience the world. And and unfortunately, that's sort of how, you know, what the what the world caters to, Do you know, if you know what I mean. Like, yes, systems right. were designed Thank you. by people like us. Yes, for people like us. For people like us. Right. Yes. But then as soon as you start thinking about how individuals with disabilities experience the world... Mm-hmm. It really opens your eyes. Sure. And so one of the things I asked you to do before we sat down together was to watch this video. I think it was called um, What is Accessibility? Mm-hmm. And it had a series of speakers. Four? Or there were four different speakers? Four or five? Four or five. Um, talking about you know what accessibility means to them. Each of them has a different disability um, that they sort of influences how they see and experience the world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting video. It was it was short. We'll provide a link um, in our show notes for anyone who might be interested because I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the initial speaker is a woman who uses a wheelchair um, mm-hmm. for chronic pain. And so she was talking a lot about accessibility in terms of you know, access, you know, she's talking about ramps and not just, not just slapping a ramp on something, but you have to make sure the incline, yeah. you know, isn't ridiculous or. Yes. Which was one, when I started to think about inclusivity and mm-hmm. what it meant to have an accessible library, that's one of the first things that I thought of. I think a lot of people think of that. Yes. It's wheelchairs. Yes, exactly. And, and sort of uh, mobility challenged people. Right. And and we have had certain efforts here at the library to, to cater to individuals who are, who do use wheelchairs. You know, yes. we've, when we redid our front doors to the library building, you know, we added 
an ADA operator button so that mm-hmm. people in wheelchairs could open the doors mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on their mm-hmm. own, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the doors that walk, that come directly into the library. From the lobby. Because we do still have an issue yes. with the doors coming off of the ag quad. Yes, as we learned. Um, so I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of disability. Um, but it was also really interesting because there are... Um, a lot of individuals have what what some might call an invisible disability, which is it may not be immediately apparent, but you know by seeing them or meeting them that they have a disability, um, but that they do something. One one of the speakers who was in this video um, is autistic, and she was saying something um, about sensory friendly areas. Like to her, accessibility yeah. means sensory friendly areas, and she was talking about. You know, no surprise noises, no large crowds, bright lights, chaotic yeah. noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for her, you know, accessibility meant having disability trained staff, staff who kind of know how to respond and 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 serve her in a way that doesn't make her feel alienated. You know, alienated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, having earplugs available, which is so interesting to and, me. And and interesting, we used to. So we did, but you know why we had them? Was for quiet study. Well, because there was construction noise going on. So we provided them. And then as soon as the construction was done, we stopped. But this made me think, oh, we need to be doing that again. Yeah, yeah. again. So we yes. see the world as it sort of pertains to our shallow perspective of it. Exactly. We've been fortunate enough to have experts uh, a walk through the building with us to help us gauge how well we're doing in terms of accessibility. Um, one, one individual who's in a wheelchair herself... Her experience was so valuable walking through with her mm-hmm. because she could point out things that, as a, again, as an able-bodied person, I just didn't even see or notice. Right. Um, right. But as soon as she would point them out to me, I would say, oh, my gosh, of course, that's that's a huge issue. We yeah. need to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and so that that perspective is, is so valuable. So there are resources on campus to, to really help you with, you know, if you want to create accessible spaces and services, um, it's nice to know that there are some of those resources available to you. Mm-hmm. Toby, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think it can be a challenging conversation to have. I think it really is. I think people could be afraid of these conversations because they're worried they're going to say the wrong thing. I think so, too. But that's not an excuse to avoid talking about a lot of these topics because I think um, that's the easy way out. It's not It's not challenging us to, to push ourselves to think about things differently and view yeah. the world differently. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really grateful to the guests that are coming on our show today um, who I think are encouraging us to, to talk about these things more and think about these things a lot more. And other very exciting news, this is actually going to be the first episode of My Kind of Man where Matt and I are going to provide a transcript of the episode. Yes. So if we're talking very slowly and clearly, it's because one of us <laughs> has to try to transcribe this. <laughs> we're trying to make it easy for ourselves. <laughs> Another thing that's long overdue. Yes. Something that um, I think we've we've talked about. Um, and then as part of the web compliance guidelines for accessibility, we were told that this was something we should think about doing mm-hmm. if we were really serious about keeping the podcast going. And even though I think it will be a lot of work, um, we have found resources, again, on yeah. campus that are available to us to help. Yeah, yeah. And we will think it's time well spent and worth the effort because we could be making our podcast more accessible to the community. So, right. you know, it's again, it's a thing that we can do that can make people feel included yeah. and they get to experience that they may not have been able to experience before. Uh, and in a way, I also think it's our obligation. As we said earlier, I mean, we've benefited from a world that's designed for us and yeah. we've never really had to give anything back. And and 
that includes a lot more things than just disability. That includes mm-hmm. race. And on my part, that includes gender. Yeah. So I think that we have an obligation to open the doors wide for everybody. Yeah. And on that note, Toby, we've got some fantastic guests coming up that we're going to talk to after our next musical interlude, but maybe we can introduce them beforehand. Yeah. So our first guest is Karina Hagling. They are our diversity fellow at Cornell University Library, and they are currently doing their rotation here at Mann Library, doing a lot of instruction and a lot of work with programming in the makerspace. And I'm very excited to have them on to talk about some of the work that they've been doing as part of their fellowship. Yes. Some very creative work. Very impressive. Yes. Um, And our second guest is Kevin Kidwell, who is a user experience developer, and he's going to come on to talk about the web accessibility guidelines that I mentioned and how we're trying, there's a sort of coordinated effort across all of Cornell to bring all of our websites and, you know, applications Mm -hmm. up to these new compliance guidelines Mm -hmm. by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to talk about some of the work he's been doing for that. So very excited to have these guests on. They know a lot more about these topics than you and I. And they're going to inform us. So get comfortable, listeners. Toby, we've got our first special guest with us today. Yeah, so we're very excited to welcome uh, Cornell University Library's Diversity Fellow, Karina Hagling. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Karina. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great today. Actually, fabulous. Wonderful. I like that word. Even so. better. Nice. Yeah. Well, we got you on a good day then. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um... I, I referenced you being the diversity fellow, but you also have another title in your position here at Man. Can you tell us um, your title and a little bit about what you do? Yes, I have many titles, but <laughs> at CUL, I am an outreach and instruction librarian. Mm-hmm. Currently, uh, as my title suggests, I focus on instruction and outreach. And what that means is that I teach library sessions and work on reaching out to students, campus, staff, faculty, and community members instead of waiting for them to come to us. Mm. Um, I currently help run a bi-monthly social justice reading group for library staff and librarians. I founded the Women, Trans, Femme, and Non-Binary Makers Night, which is an inclusive bi-weekly night in the makerspace where folks come together to work on making stuff. And I lead workshops, especially zine workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to have to talk about that yes, in detail. <laughs> yes, at our makerspace, uh, for example. And I also do a lot of service work, as many librarians do. Uh, I serve on the library's Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Council, mm-hmm. man's instruction team. This is a long one. <laughs> Be prepared. Okay. The Academic Assembly <laughs> Steering Committee Your service task commitment force is quite long. <laughs> on the retention of academic uh, librarians. See, I told you so. Oh, dang. And I'm involved with the Association of College and Re- Research and College Libraries Residency Interest Group. And finally, on top of all of that, I focus on developing myself as a scholar. Um, I'm currently wrapping up edits for a book chapter on how librarians can support survivors of sexual violence. And that will be featured in a book published next year on the intersections of mental illness and library work, as well as serving as a peer reviewer for the Journal of Librarianship and Scholarly Communication. So I don't do very much. No, I think I feel like you don't have very much on your plate. Full day. I was wondering, when do you have time for coffee? (laughs) I don't drink coffee. You don't drink coffee. Well, there you go. So it's problem solved. You don't have time. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that is a lot. Um, 
talk a little bit more about um, being on being the diversity fellow and being on um, the diversity inclusion and belonging council. I think you said for the library. Yes, yeah. of course. So last year, Cornell University Library actually reinstated their diversity fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, this is a position designed for recent graduates of master's in information library science programs who want the opportunity to learn about academic libraries while acquiring core competencies and skills in instruction, scholarship, and research like me. <laughs> um, so my fellowship allows me to explore several departments in Cornell's library system to collaborate on projects and to explore new information technologies and user-centered services. My goals and interests are balanced with the library's needs to create a flexible program, which is supported through a mentoring program, continuing education, professional development, specialized training, and participation on library committees, many of them. <laughs> um, I spent my first six months at Rare Manuscripts Collections, which is Cornell's version of Special Collections, working with the Human Sexuality Collection, which was amazing. <laughs> but since March, I've been at MAN focusing on outreach and instruction, which is um, honestly, even more amazing. <laughs> well, we don't get tired of hearing that ever. <laughs> you, do, you do lots and lots of things with lots and lots of interests. Is there something in all of that that's your passion? I'm guided. My principles and my work and everything I do is guided by a commitment to social justice, um, disability justice, and liberation for marginalized communities. Wow. Well, it sounds like we picked the right guest for the topic of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Part of the reason that we decided to do this episode about, um, you know, trying to create a more inclusive library environment, whether, you know, services and spaces and our, you know, our online presence is in partially in reaction to those um, those new messages that have been coming out from the Dib Council. I think mm -hmm. they're called Dib, you know, Dib, you know, um, every couple of weeks there's a there's a new one. And we started to notice that we were getting these more frequently and they kind of sparked conversations that we were having when we were doing our kind of you know, production planning meeting for the semester. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more. That's yeah, awesome so let's bring to our, hear. Let's bring our listeners all up to speed right from the start. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what What is the Dib Council? So, the Dib Council is stands for Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging, um, and we provide leadership in diversity, equity, and inclusion for Cornell University library staff through program creation, dissemination of information like the Dib You Know newsletters. Mm -hmm and evaluation of existing library programs and structures. Our ultimate goal is to make our library a more inclusive place for all people through staff development, communication with administration, mm -hmm. and resource creation. We do a lot of events and programming. Some of our past events have included a bystander intervention training, a keynote on universal design, and gender-inclusive language for librarians workshop. Through the Dib Council, I collaborated with two other members, Eliza Bedinger and Wendy Wilcox, to create a bi-monthly reading group for librarians and library workers to talk about topics like um, diversity, recruitment and retention, salary transparency and negotiation, racism and white supremacy in libraries, and sexism in the workplace. Um, so yeah, we've talked about a lot of really important stuff and sparked a lot of great conversations. I've really enjoyed, I don't know if you've had a chance to go, Matt, but I've been um, a couple times to the Equity and Empowerment Reading Group, and I've really enjoyed those conversations because, you know, you just mentioned some of what we've talked about. It sounds like some really heavy mm -hmm. topics, and it's not that it's not, but I, I think those of you who do the planning, you pick really thoughtful readings. Um, the discussion always feels 
at least in the times that I've been very respectful, like, Mm -hmm. you know, even if people are kind of disagreeing with each other or, um, yeah, it's, it, it feels very much of, you know, we're all trying to kind of open our own eyes and improve our work environment so that then we can, you know, provide better services for our users. And I think it's, you guys have done a really wonderful job. It's one of my favorite groups to go to. So thank you so much for that feedback. We've worked really hard to try and cultivate, um, an environment where people can feel safe talking about difficult topics. Yeah. And also, to we worked really uh, diligently on developing collective guidelines to help guide those conversations and to demonstrate that we're all here because we want to make things better, yeah. mm-hmm. not because we want to argue with each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll have to go. I'll have to attend one of these. Yeah, I think the next one's going to be in November, so keep keep an eye out. Okay. It's, it's and, then, wh- and is the uh, re- is the reading selected and assigned prior, mm-hmm. right? Yes, mm-hmm. and we send it out prior. Usually um, a couple so, weeks before. Yeah, so yeah. you have a chance to read it. Mm-hmm. And then we usually send out the guidelines again just mm-hmm. for a refresher for people or for new members. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's great. So we've been talking a lot. We've been throwing out a lot of terms. Um, You know, I think we're kind of this whole point of this podcast is exploring what this idea of an inclusive library, what that looks like, what that means. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we have our own ideas. But one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was because I think you probably have some of your own ideas as well. Um, So what does an inclusive library look like to you? Uh, I think this could become a speech. (laughs) <laughs> and maybe it will. Well, give it, okay. give it to us in bite-sized pieces. <laughs> to me, an inclusive library is a library where there is a plan if ICE agents or police show up, where my pronouns aren't assumed and people are gendered correctly, hmm. where marginalized students feel comfortable asking librarians to help them find a book, research a topic, or ask a reference question, where we recognize that we are a profession that is 87% white and that takes active, concrete actions to dismantle racism and white supremacy within our profession and within the larger world. Where gender-neutral bathrooms are available and easy to find. Where our communities are reflected in our collections and our programming. Where we are accessible and designed using universal design. Where we don't experience sexual harassment or violence where we remain unwavering in our commitment to social justice, even in the face of administrative backlash or community pushback, where librarians are expected to be culturally competent at a bare minimum, and ultimately where the experiences, needs, and lives of students of color, disabled and chronically ill students, students who are survivors, queer and transgender students, low-income students, international students, and first-generational students are not only taken to account was centered, prioritized, and involved in our conversations and our decisions. That is what an inclusive library is like to me. Yeah. I feel like I want to just print that out and put that <laughs> on the front doors of the library. <laughs> in very large fonts. In very large, and maybe pink. rainbow, yeah. Yeah, a rainbow, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be inclusive. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. I particularly like the focus that um, a lot of what you're talking about brings to people from marginalized communities or for un- from underrepresented backgrounds. I think that's something that um, is really important. And um, I'm really glad that it's such a focus of a lot of the work that, that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. I um, want to ask, how, in your opinion, how does Man Library measure up? I mean, I, I don't want to <laughs> hit a hot topic, but how can you not wonder that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think about that a lot here as a disabled person, as a queer person, as a survivor, as a trans person. Um, 
I think about a lot about what man is doing well and what we can improve. Mm-hmm. And I think man is doing a great job at hosting inclusive events and programming, supporting our colleagues and librarians who are going through medical issues, including mental health struggles, celebrating our student workers, and supporting professional development. Uh, my travel budget was cut and Mary Oaks, our director has helped send me to so many events and conferences out of our budget, um, because developing me as a librarian, as a diversity fellow is important to her. Mm -hmm. And that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. I also, uh, recently came up. October is a very difficult month for me because it is the eight year anniversary of when I was raped. And my colleagues have offered amazing support to me. My supervisor created a collective care document with my consent and sent it out to colleagues where they could sign up to bring me care packages, to uh, take me for a coffee break, to bring me dinner, to help me with chores. And that made a huge difference in how safe and supported I felt at work and in managing how difficult this month is for me in terms of my PTSD. Um, I also really love that we now have pronoun pins at our front desk again and at that point of service, which is a small gesture, but still a powerful one for transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming students who come in and see them. It's a signal, to me at least, that it's a welcoming and inclusive space and that I can have some degree of trust in the service I'm getting. Yeah. I think, uh, thank you for um, reminding me. So um, at, the, at the start of the podcast, we did introduce ourselves using our pronouns because we're trying to be um, more inclusive on this podcast and more clear. Um, and this is actually also, also going to be the first episode of the podcast where we're going to pr- try to provide a transcript. Awesome. Which I'm really excited mm-hmm. about to make the to make the podcast more accessible as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. all these things you're talking about are sparking all, all other ideas in me already about things that we could be doing on the podcast to um, to make that more inclusive as well. So that's great. And it's really great to hear that you think that there are things that man's doing right. I mean, I tend to think about a lot of this in terms of spaces and services because that's a lot of what I'm responsible mm-hmm. for. And I think, you know, anytime we go through the process of redesigning a service point, a space, anything like that, you know, we are trying to go by those principles of universal design. You referenced earlier yes. that um, your group brought in a keynote speaker who talked about universal design. There were so many great things in that talk that were really, really helpful. We've been getting some help and advice from other, um, you know, partners on campus to help us t- truly design spaces that that work for everyone. Um, and that's so that's how I tend to to think about everything through that kind of window of you know my responsibilities. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting too to hear about all the programming that you're doing and have been involved in, um, and the and the professional development side of it too, which is it's great to hear that, that that you feel supported in that way as well. That's really great to hear. I always. I know that we have budgets and money is a thing and capitalism is a thing. (laughs) For now. But (laughs) yes, for now, for now. But I really want libraries to put their money where their mouth is. Mm -hmm. What's more important to you? uh, Serving and including your disabled patrons and also your workers Mm -hmm. or being making a profit Mm -hmm. or at least having more of a budget. Like... Mm -hmm. I always find one of the arguments in universal design is that it's cost effective and benefits everyone. And I'm like, this isn't about money or benefiting everyone. This is about disabled people. Mm -hmm. This is about disabled workers and staff and students and faculty. Mm -hmm. Like, 
we shouldn't have to argue for ourselves for basic needs through the lens of capitalism or through the lens of appealing to able-bodied people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think having a position like this where there's someone who can be advocating for that is is really important. But it's a lot of work. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. So you can hit us now. Where are areas that we could be improving? Well, before you answer, yeah. are there any immediate <laughs> things that the library can do? Like, mm. is there any low-hanging fruit that the library could do to be more inclusive? Hmm. Education for people, especially who are doing uh, the frontline work on getting pronouns right. I have been misgendered so many times at the front desk, picking mm-hmm. up my interlibrary loans and borrow direct books. And also because my legal name doesn't reflect my preferred name, people are often so confused and like don't know how to find my books. And usually a librarian who knows me has to go help them find them. And it's just a whole thing that feels really embarrassing to me um, Mm. and really makes me uncomfortable and feel kind of unsafe because I don't like anyone to see my legal name. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to like show my ID to like pick up my books. And then people are confused because my preferred name is on the interlibrary loans and the borrow directs or some mix of it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. that happens with international students a lot as well. But And a lot of of our transgender patrons as well because, you know, this is where we see the problem with our systems not talking to each other. So you may have it accurate in one system, but if that doesn't talk to the other and we use, you know, however many different systems, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. seems like a really... That's a really great point. So having some education for people who work at the front desk mm-hmm. on using correct pronouns um, and handling ID situations would be really great for gender, non-conforming, transgender, non-binary, and the international students too. Mm-hmm. That's a low-hanging fruit. But I have some big ideas that I like to talk about. Uh I think we desperately and urgently need an accessible gender neutral bathroom, at least on our first floor. Mm-hmm. As a disabled and genderqueer staff member, I have to go to another building if I want to feel safe while I pee. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem. And I know many students must be facing the same issue. Yeah. And this shouldn't be an issue in the first place. Like, I shouldn't have to. As a disabled person, especially walking to another building isn't like an option for me to go mm-hmm. pee safely. Um, so that's something that really needs to be addressed um, in as soon as possible. Yeah. Like, really, I really thank you for bringing that up. I know you know we've ta- you and I have talked about that quite a bit, um, and it's nice to have another ally because that's something that I feel like I've been talking about for a long time and is really important to me. Um, and I, I think those of us who are cisgendered absolutely take for granted that, you know, using a restroom is what enables us to exist in a public space. And if that's not an option for you, how can you do so safely? So that's a big one. I feel like I'm finally getting some traction. So great. Yeah, it's exciting. That's <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. So last question. Um, if money and time. So this is meaning your your personal time that you have mm-hmm. for work. Um, we're no object, okay? So that's taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. What big project or initiative would you want to get off the ground, either at Man or at, at Cornell? What would be your dream, jo- your dream I project? I want to see an accessible entrance to Man that isn't hidden or hard to find. Mm. Personally, as a disabled librarian 
who uses this entrance daily, it makes me feel as if my library is ashamed or hiding me and other disabled people by relegating us to an entrance built from a breeze tunnel. Uh, it shows me, it shows disabled students, staff, faculty, that we aren't prioritized or centered at man by the way, the way we should be. We should be able to walk, to limp, to wheel, or to drive through the front entrance like the rest of the campus body. And you're talking about the entrance into the building, yes. not into the library. And I think it, I think it is a really big issue. And um, you know, it was only a couple of years ago when they were um, our front door, the glass doors that enter from the lobby to the building mm-hmm. are really, really heavy, um, and they kept breaking. People would sort of pull them open and snap off, like you know, the hinges, and we had to. They were constantly being repaired. And so I had these discussions, you know, with people in facilities about, um, you know, trying to repair these doors with something that wouldn't break as easily. And we're talking, talking, talking. And I was very, very new to my position as head of, um, you know, facilities for the for the library. And I sort of tentatively raised my hand in this, you know, room full of dudes and said, you know, could we could we maybe put an ADA operator on, on those doors? That, that sort of seems like the bare minimum we should be doing. And, you know, there were kind of a bunch of like people looking at me and kind of blinking and then saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. We should definitely do that. And, and I was so glad that I spoke up. I was, you know, I was nervous right. with my first meeting, right. but it just seemed like that no one was talking about that. Yeah. And so I feel like even if I leave the library t- tomorrow, that'll be the one That's stamp. your mark? That'll be the stamp I left on this on this place is that it's I got that door. It's also really important to speak up even when you're nervous and scared and afraid. Yeah. Um, it's so important to say something. Yeah. So thank you for saying that. So we have these ADA accessible doors to yeah. Man yeah. Library. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to do so. And I was really happy that everyone was so receptive to it. And, you know, it seemed like it was a good group effort in the end. So, yeah, um, these are these are big projects, but I don't think they're I don't think they're too pie yeah. in the sky. I think we can make them happen. So mm-hmm. and speaking of thank yous, <laughs> thank you for coming in, talking to us, sharing your life with us. Mm-hmm. Very impressive and very awesome. Yeah. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. We'll hopefully have you on again soon. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I love my podcast voice, so I'm excited to listen <laughs> to this. And I'm excited to share it with all my family, friends, and everyone I know. So thank you so much for inviting me and having me today. It was really great talking with y'all. I'm really excited to have our next guest, Kevin Kidwell, join us down from the land of IT to uh, talk to us today. Welcome, Kevin. Hello. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. Um, To Kevin, what is your title? My user experience designer developer. User experience designer developer. So for those who might not know, what exactly does that mean? What types of things do you work on? Basically, I look at how people use things. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the general. That's the general overview. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of you, I think you work in IT, but it's not always exclusively related to just you know like a digital projects, right? Like you've actually helped out with a lot of other things in the library. Yeah, there's been various pullings with physical spaces. Mm-hmm. Anything that somebody interacts with is going to have a user experience. Mm-hmm. And the user experience, how would you sort of? define that for the layperson? Generally just what people think about when they're using something. Okay. Um, So if you pick up your phone and you open an app and it doesn't load, Mm -hmm. you just had an experience. Yes. Probably a negative one. Yes. Right. (laughs) If it does load, you've had an experience as well, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The The whole thing is the experience. Yeah. 
anything that happens to you on any technology in a space, that's an experience and it's something that we study, try to improve, Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. I'm remembering, I don't know if you remember, Matt, but last year, shortly after we put in our new service desk... Yes. And now um, at this one desk, you can get, and you know, patrons can get help with poster printing, with checking things in and out, and with research help all at one service point. Right. Right after we had done that, we actually had Kevin come and do some observations at the desk to sort of see. I, I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, basically from both yes. the sort of you know patron and staff perspective, yeah. how was the experience of, of the new desk and sort of helping us identify areas where we might be able to improve things. Um, and I think it was really helpful because we had our own sort of presumptions about what was working well and what wasn't working well, what we liked and didn't like, but then actually having people kind of a little bit outside of it come and observe mm-hmm. and then say... Oh, did you actually know that the wait time on you know getting a poster printed can you know crawl up to twenty minutes if if they're not? Oh, we know. Yeah. <laughs> In that specific example, <laughs> that was a bad example. We didn't know about that, but um, so that was really that was really helpful. I think having having you do that, um, and I, you know, I know that you do that for a lot of other projects as well because we do them together sometimes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So we also work on the usability working group together, mm-hmm. Kevin and I. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we do some testing where we develop tasks that pe- we ask people to do, and then we kind of watch and see how know, they do it, how they do them. Yeah, and then report back because we work with so many stakeholders across uh, campus. Right. Right. Yeah, and make suggestions on to on how things might be improved. Yep. Yep. So the reason we had you on today, uh, this podcast that we're working on um, for this month is about creating an inclusive library, right. you know, and, and sort of we're kind of figuring out what that means to us, you know, because I think it can mean something different to everyone, you know, um, especially like, you know, for me, it's very focused on the areas of, you know, responsibility that I have. Um, but it can mean so much more than that. And the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you've been doing a lot of work um, on website accessibility, so um, could you talk a little bit about what that means, web, web accessibility? Yeah. So basically, it's just anybody that I- interacts with a website, mm-hmm. making sure that they can actually mm-hmm. interact with it. Right. Um, a lot of times people will need to increase screen size, like magnify it, use mm-hmm. a screen reader, or they can only get through a website using a keyboard. Okay. Um, so it's making sure that all of these things are able to be done. Mm-hmm. Right. Through, through a keyboard as opposed to a phone app or something like that, you mean? No, rather than using like a mouse. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Yeah, so it it covers a range of all mm-hmm. kinds of disabilities that mm-hmm. people have and just making sure that they can actually get what we're offering. Right, right. Yeah. Because if we have these things available but only a certain, you know, certain people can access it, is that truly, you know, inclusive access maybe? <laughs> How long have you been working on this particular aspect of the website uh accessibility started about a year ago okay mm-hmm. and now it's 70 percent of what i do is that yeah. right so, yeah yeah what were some of those initial observations mm. uh well my first one was this is a pain to do from a development side mm. um oh explain well it was something where you know i don't have to use that technology regularly so i was like why are we doing this? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it came out to be, you know, oh, I see why we're doing it now mm-hmm. and what's actually happening. And mm-hmm. um, But initially it was trying to understand all of these really complex technical guidelines and mm-hmm. how these could actually be put into place. 
Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the impetus for doing this was because there are new web content accessibility guidelines that we have to be in compliance with, correct? Yeah, the guidelines themselves aren't new, oh, okay. but actually applying them to our institution is relatively new. Okay. And it didn't just happen to Cornell. Yeah, right. It, it happened to a ton of institutions at once. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but that's I think you know all of a sudden a lot of people are focused on this and talking about this and you know I think without necessarily knowing that that's you know there actually is a deadline here where we're supposed to be getting all of these things you know to meet these guidelines. Um, it sort of seemed for many people I think out of the blue who weren't maybe in a loop on that. But mm-hmm. I think I think you know you guys have been doing a really good job working with everyone on this. I think there's been IT's been giving a lot of, you know putting a lot of resources out there. Um, to help people work on this. Um, and the end product is going to be, you know, websites and apps and things that can be used by everyone. By everyone, yes. right? That is the yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, and actually it makes it easier for people who don't have disabilities to use them even. Yeah. Um, especially with color contrast is a big one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like you see that everywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you ever spend any time with Kevin, he'll be like, no, that, col- that color contrast is no good. <laughs> yeah, I can't even walk through the library. It's not even just web anymore. Yeah. I, I take it and think of it in actual physical spaces. Mm-hmm. So any signage I see, I'm like, those colors don't match. They're, they're <laughs> not working accessibly. Right. There's not a big enough contrast between them. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I can't look at like any media anymore without thinking of it in yeah. that way. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked in television for a long time, and now every time I watch a film or any sort of a production, you see if the you see the back. I, I just I, it goes through my head. It's part of my thinking as I'm as I'm watching. Yeah, I, I used to work on ads, so like web banners, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and sometimes like commercials that would go on like Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to always think about the process of putting those together, mm. but now I it switched to accessibility, <laughs> which is funny. What's the focus on putting those together? Uh, really, it's like, how long does this take to export? What size does it need to be? What kind of captions does it need? What are the brand guidelines? Right, mm-hmm. right. All of that. But now I'm just like, you know, you match all of that, but th- there's not enough contrast between that sky and that white text. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Sure. Right. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that's... But what's nice is that it feels like it's become... Everyone hesitates to call themselves an expert, so I'm not going to throw that at you. But I think... Um, you've become, you know, really knowledgeable about a lot of these things. And you've actually been able to sort of help some of the staff here at MAN who create a lot of our yeah. content, you know, yeah. both online and print and how to do this in a way that's accessible. And I think people really see you, you know, staff really see you as a resource to, to help them figure that out. Yeah. And I love being there to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I gave a talk at Cornell Design and Tech Initiative to the students there about accessibility. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, you know, if you need help, send me an email. Come up to man. Yeah. Ask for like. We, we say that all the time. Yeah. yeah. The, the response is often small. <laughs> oh, yeah. But in this case, it might not be. I mean, I think this is something that like, what I think is really neat. Uh, that's cool to hear to to hear that you've done that. Is you know, you're starting to talk to people about doing this because right now the project you're working on, we're we're working all the, all this stuff after the fact. These websites yeah. have been built. They've been created, and we're trying to kind of retroactively yeah. get them to where they need to be in terms of you know accessibility. But now you're kind of talking to people who are like starting out on on design projects and saying like, are you thinking about these things from the beginning? Yeah, exactly. And how can you actually put it into your process of designing and developing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Besides contrast, what are the other big elements of web accessibility? Mm. Um, A lot of it deals with images. So making sure that um, 
because if somebody's blind, they can't see the image. Right. Um, but if it's something that's relevant to that page, the content, whatever, making sure it has some sort of text that their screen reader or something will pick up and display, that's very important. I understand. So the screen reader um, might say something like, you know. There is a picture of. Blank. Or, yeah. 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 And, and then the person would know that that was included as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, a lot of it centers around, like, navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're not using a mouse, you can't get to everything the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, screen readers rely on uh, hierarchy of headings and that sort of thing to be able to give overviews of a page. Right. And sometimes people will make, like, stylistic choices that they think looks better, but maybe if they're not, if it's not consistently done or used in a way that there's a very clear hierarchy, then screen readers kind of don't know what to do with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it comes down to like font size, technically. Yeah. People will pick a heading for the size, but then not care about what order it's in, mm-hmm. which will really mess up a screen reader. Sure. Right. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Are there websites that do this very well? In in your process now, you looked at other examples, I'm sure. Yeah, we've looked at some. Um, Harvard does really well with it. Mm. Uh, and they have a ton of guidelines on it. Oh, wow. Um, we were going to make our own guidelines, and we were like, you do it so well. Let's, <laughs> let's just point out. Right. 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 Um, yeah. yeah we, let's wheel. not reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Just use this wheel. <laughs> yeah. 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 So... How would how would people who have a website um, be able to test it to see if they are meeting accessibility accessibility gu- guidelines? So there are actually a ton of tools. Ooh, um, good to know. We focus on just a few of them. Uh, we have a subscription with Cornell for Site Improve, but that's okay. only for like Cornell websites. I see. Um, but that makes sense that Cornell would get a subscription to something like that because of this huge effort that's going on right now. Yeah, exactly. Because it's right. not just the library; it's all of Cornell. Sure. Um, but Site Improve also has a browser plugin that you don't need an account for. Oh. So you can put it in and test it on any web, any web page that's oh, out there. Oh, very cool. That's good to know. Yeah, that's extremely helpful to know. Um, and then there's another one. Uh, it's a site called WebAIM. Okay. Um, I believe they were part of the initial coming up with the first web content guidelines. Hmm. Um, and they have a tool called Wave, which comes up with... Um, alerts and errors that are matching up with uh, these guidelines. Mm-hmm. It's similar to Site Improve, but sometimes like each tool can catch something a little differently. Interesting. And then there's also just color contrast checkers. And mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah. Interesting. So once we, and if I put you on the spot here, I apologize, but once we've we sort of gotten to this deadline and, and theoretically we've gotten everything up to you know where it needs to be in terms of compliance, moving forward, you know, how do we make sure that we're continuing to, you know, because I could see something, someone accidentally putting, say, like a, an image up on our site for some, to advertise something that isn't, you know, meeting these standards. Like, how are we going to, like, continue to monitor that? I don't know that anything has come up um, policy-wise for okay. how we're going to do it. Okay. Um, but site improves going to stay in place. Oh, okay. Um, so we'll keep doing that. And I do know that... Um, Central IT is, I believe, planning to check every three months or so. I see. Okay. Um, just to make sure n- no new errors have popped up, scores are staying about the same, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So it's really going to be a continuous check. 
And then I'm sure if new guidelines come out, we switch to 2.2 or <laughs> 3 or, <laughs> right. you know, that'll have to come in. Well, I'm glad that you that you sort of mentioned that about, you know, continuing our site improve and, and that ITAs are going to be sort of checking for this because it's it's naive to think that, you know, we make this big push to, for this effort and then sure. the work is done. It's obviously not done. We have right. to continue to, to do it. Or that. that positions change in things. I mean, the person that's doing our design now and knows about the guidelines, mm-hmm. if they leave and sure. someone new comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But at least we'll all be starting from a place of, yeah. I know, it yeah. was at least at this point, it was meeting these guidelines and something to to yeah. work from. Yeah. So, yeah, that's exciting. Have you got, you've made changes. Yes. You're, oh, yeah. yeah, we've made a lot of changes to it and, we're, and we continue to make changes. Have you gotten feedback from the changes we've made? Um, not in accessibility itself. It's more people thinking about Oh, how does this look? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so kind of back to the user experience yeah, aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, that part of it. Because um, it's really hard to get accessibility feedback unless you're asking somebody who's regularly using these systems sure. to do it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. 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 So how many, how many, I know that, you know, some of the library websites you guys have had to sort of redesign in, in a new, you know, content management system, essentially from the ground up. How many of you guys had to do so far? Uh, I believe we're on 14. Wow. Um, and that's we still have three to do in okay. spring. Okay. Um, those are the ones that we just remediated as they were because of features or the amount of content. Right. Um, but all of the rest have been pulled in. Some of those were even, I think, one we weren't even planning to do. We were planning to just remediate. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, no, let's move over. <laughs> they wanted to move over. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and it's been constantly changing. We've been doing um, sprint meetings, so just like two weeks a month focused on this project. Two weeks a month. That's 50% of the work month. Yeah. Nailed it, Matt. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so we've been doing that and um, like just kind of really focusing on this project. So it it changes every month. There's new new features that are going in. new changes that are happening to the theme. We're making sure accessibility matches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, since all of these websites actually come out of a single theme that has to be accessible, we have it up to 99.9%. That's wow. great. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so that's the base for it. Um, yeah. So we're just making sure that it's great from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I know that the MAN website is one of the ones that's gonna that's being remediated and then you know eventually moved over. Um, to a new a new content management system, um, and I know that we're we're doing pretty well with our you know um, I, I still have a couple of of unremediated PDFs I've gotta I've gotta get rid of. You gotta pull. <laughs> yep. Um, but I think other than that, we're we're in pretty good shape, um, and I think a lot of that um, credit goes to you for helping our team kind of figure out what to do and and create more accessible content. Yeah. And yeah, so I think we're we're well positioned for for meeting the deadline and moving forward. So. Yeah, you guys might be a little bit ahead right now because <laughs> um, we have to send everything by the end of October. Right. Um, but then launching in December. Right. For everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think since you guys are just being remediated, mm-hmm. you'll be done before that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. Great. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us. Um, I imagine we will have you on again at some point. Um, and we really appreciate you sharing that perspective with us about accessibility yeah. and, and creating a more inclusive library from, from that side of things. Well, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. 
Toby, I hope you found those two interviews as informative and fun as I did. I really did. I've I've worked with both Karina and Kevin on various things, and I have found the perspective that they bring to be incredibly helpful. And I've learned so much from them. And I'm I'm excited to give them, you know, some exposure on the podcast to all of our various listeners. Yes, yes. To share the things that they're really passionate about that they're working on. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of fun. Um, So, you know, we've touched on some pretty heavy topics today. I think um, so. But I think uh, we both learned a lot and we hope that our listeners have as well. We did. We and did. if you if you listen to this and you have ideas on things that we could be doing to create a more inclusive library environment, I hope that you'll share them with us. We don't intend for this to be a one and done kind of deal. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing mm-hmm. effort mm-hmm. to create a welcoming, inclusive library environment for everyone. Um, so if you have ideas, things that we should t- talk about or address, yep. um, we would Any sort of feedback. Absolutely. Mykindofman at cornell.edu. Yes. And we would love to hear from you and, and, and hopefully get some new ideas on new initiatives, new services, improvements to our spaces, um, other things maybe you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast. We'd yeah. love to hear it. Yeah, we would. Yeah. So, Toby, it's been my pleasure. And mine as well. And listeners, we'll catch you in a month. This has been My Kind of Man with Matt Ryan and Toby Hines. Produced and edited by Matt Ryan and Toby Hines with support from the Man Library Learning Technology Committee. You can reach out to us with feedback and suggestions at mykindofman at cornell.edu. This has been a production of Albert R. Mann Library. Thanks for listening.